Welcome back to Bodybuilding Down Under. You're listening to episode number 53 with your usual hosts, myself, Lawrence, Jack, and DY. So anyway, moving on. No, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. It was all a joke last week, people. Never fear. Mr. DC is here in the flesh, looking very scrumptious in a zipped up sort of turtleneck looking thing. It was all a, a ruse. He is in fact staying on for another year. His contract has been extended and he'll be reassessed at episode 104 next year. So he's got 52 left. Let's um, make it a good one. DC, how does it feel being back on the team? I'm back, baby. He's back. It's like <laughs> when um, when Michael Jordan released like a press release when he was coming back to the Bulls. All it said was, I'm back. Mm, mm. Well, I know you guys must have had some shit talking in the last podcast because... I definitely saw a few comments on the uh, the recent post just being like, oh my God, DC, you're not coming back, man. <laughs> I'm like, what have you guys spoken about? I haven't listened to it yet. So uh, I'm due to listen to the, the shit talk. But uh, I think that's the case whenever I'm not there, right? It's like dad's not here and uh, the, kids are, the kids are running rampant. It's exactly the case. It's exactly the case. I think, you know, Jack keeps me and, and DY in, in line to a certain extent. I think an hour of, of me and D.Y. The Godfather, I guess. Yeah, the uncle. Yeah. That sort of, that weird uncle. Mm. The jacked uncle, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, no, it's good to have you. How are you feeling, mate? You're recovering from a bit of unwellness and you're traveling and all sorts. Mm, yeah, so Nicole and I stayed uh, down in Sydney after Nationals for the next week just to catch up with some friends uh from when i used to uh live there actually a lot of my old clients were back when i was i was pting but uh got a little bit sick on that wednesday had to cancel a few plans and um obviously couldn't couldn't make the potty as well so sorry boys uh but i'm appreciative that you renewed my contract um i just think the the vast majority of individuals must have you know missed me for some reason so i'm back due to popular demand <laughs> Due to but I'm not it was good man I'm still a bit sick now but I you can probably still tell but definitely feeling a lot better now and it's not COVID uh so that's a good thing due to popular demand we also had to increase his renewal price by about 20 percent just due mm. to the amount of concerns we got yeah exactly I asked for an increase in salary so uh yeah, yeah. it was it was kind of awkward you know DC's agent just came in really really hard out of the gates a lot of demands some of them of which make the other rest of us three quite uncomfortable. But, you know, what are you going to do? He's a, he's a core member. The fans are probably going to revolt if he's not on the podcast. So we would yeah. have to remake the artwork as well. Yeah. Shame. Just too much involved, you know? And we're going to be bottom, bottom. Like we actually have to remake it anyway, because that was part of the contract is that DC has to be facing the camera and shirtless and double the size. Mm, mm. So keep I, think, I think my lawyer argued something like, you know, the, the salary is determined by a degree of muscle mass, something like that. So I think that's why. Yeah, it's um, 1 million times fat-free mass index. Mm, so yeah, exactly he's got right. us all beat, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, we're going to go straight into the questions today, dear listener, because there's not that much to update on. And the first one actually got sent in via a voice note, which I thought was tremendous. And we thought about playing it on the podcast, but we hadn't yet officially gained this individual's consent. However, if you would like to actually hear your voice on, you know, what is the top bodybuilding podcast in Australia, then send us through a voice note and we actually can play it through the speakers. And that way you can hear yourself on an episode and you can also add a little bit more detail 
outside of what the little poll box allows. So essentially, in, in fewer words, the, the question basically said, you know, how are we supposed to know when to back off our loads during prep? Following on from previous discussion where we were talking about even last week where it's like, okay, you get to that point in prep where you probably are better off making that load reduction in order to get a little bit more out of the target tissue because chances are you're not going to be able to produce as much force as you get a bit lighter. It also covered things like, you know, mentally accepting this, like what do you guys tell yourselves to make sure you're not going crazy as the loads on the bar don't keep going up or sometimes start going down. And the final part of the question was just asking, you know, how much is okay to lose in prep? You know, is there a percentage that we aim for? So I'm going to kick it over to you first, Jack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just starting with the first aspect then. Yeah. So maybe, you know, like the sort of mental side of it slash the when to know. Yeah. So I think there's two aspects of when to know when you should decrease it. And that's, are you falling out of your target rep range and or and or like are you is your form being compromised so those two might happen separately like maybe you'll retain your numbers but your form will be compromised or maybe you'll fall out of your designated set range consistently while having compromised form at the same time so what i often use for myself and for clients as well is like don't just cut it too early like if you let's say your rep range is 8 to 10 you hit 7 I wouldn't decrease the load from the following for, for the following week. I would give myself another crack. And honestly, being outside of the range, the rep range by one, it's not a big deal. Like I would continue to pursue that movement. And however, if I fell out of the rep range by two, or if I was noticing that my form was being compromised. So I guess, for example, on a, on a squat, if I was no longer getting sufficient range of motion, or if I was doing trying to do a quad bias squat and my hips kept on shooting up really quickly first. And I was just not really using my quads as much to press the load or same within the chest press, it becomes tricep dominant. I'd, I'd then decrease the load. Yep. Cool. And then what would you say to the mental component DY? Like, you know, when we inevitably all get to that point in prep, what do you sort of tell yourself to, to keep your head in the game? I think one thing is you really do need to remember that in the back end of prep, your strength, a majority of the time isn't going to be what it is at the start of the prep. And just by the sheer probably percent of body fat that you're going to be losing, you're probably going to lose some strength of that. So I think as you're in prep, you need to more or less accept that there is going to be a time where it does come where you will need to back it off. Um, and in the end, we're chasing the stimulus. We don't realistically need those numbers. Like it sure would be nice to hold the exact same lift while getting the same stimulus the entire way through prep. But in the end, you would rather have the stimulus than the load in most cases. So I think just being okay with the fact that, you know, there is going to be a time where the weight will drop off and that's 100% fine because we're still going to get that adequate stimulus we need to keep that muscle mass there. Yeah, great. And then what about, like, do you set yourself a, a target DC? Like, do you sort of have in mind what you would like lifts to not go below depending on what the lift is or are you just a bit more free flowing with it? Um, not necessarily. Like I wouldn't say at the start of a prep, I, you know, I, I go into an athlete spreadsheet and sort of write down the numbers that I would depict. I don't want them to go below before I, you know, swap the exercise out or things like that. I think a determinant as to, you know, when you would sub an exercise out is when it's no longer providing, you know, a good stimulus to fatigue ratio really. And like, how would you determine that? Well, you determine that based on, 
just what Jack and, and DY have said, you know, how much that load has essentially reduced over the, the duration of your, of your prep. You know, are you no longer feeling stable when performing like a barbell bench press or something like that? Are you feeling as though there's a greater component of stability associated with a reduction in fat mass upon your back when you're trying to stabilize that, that bar overhead? Would you be better to then you know, traverse that or change that, sorry, to something like a plate loaded press? Um, but anecdotally, I mean, for myself, I probably noticed around maybe a 20, 25% reduction in strength on, on majority of my, my movements, I would say. Um, I was actually quite good at retaining strength along, alongside a lot of my isolation-based exercises, but my compound movements quite severely were impacted. And I would say like RDLs probably took a 30% hit towards the end of prep. Same in terms of some of my, like my hack squat movements, et cetera. And, you know, I do think that that part of that loss in strength is due to uh, leverage changes, right? When, you, when you're essentially reducing fat mass. So all of a sudden you got less cushioning behind the knee in the bottom of a squat position to essentially bounce out of. It's like, you know, it's like that anecdotal, uh, I wear knee sleeves, my lift feels stronger. It's like, we, you feel as though that's the case. I mean, I'm not entirely sure if evidence completely supports it being a huge increase in strength for the use of things like that, but surely having an extra, you know, bit of padding behind the knee is going to allow you to bounce out of that repetition. Something like a barbell bench press will, you know, depending on the width of your, of your hand positioning, right? irrespectively, if you've got more fat mass on your chest, there's less distance the bar needs to travel. Uh, you got more fat mass on your back when your back is against the bench in a bench press or a, you know, dumbbell press, whatever it may be. You've got more proprioceptive feedback and tactile feedback in terms of how you stabilize on the bench. So there's all these kind of structural changes that I guess do occur or not structural, but, you know, leverage changes that do occur that can, can see a reduction in strength. And that's perhaps why a lot of the time when you see reductions in strength, they're more so attributable to movements that are perhaps more complex and require greater degrees of stability. There was a point for me, for example, where I'd be performing dumbbell walking lunges and I felt so unstable on my feet. Like it almost, that's an indicator for me that perhaps this exercise is no longer providing a good stimulus for me in terms of my ability to take this particular set towards a high proximity of failure is because I'm almost falling over because I can't stabilize myself as I'm walking, you know, down, down the laneway uh, or down the sled track as I'm trying to do my lunges. Okay, maybe I need to change this to something else. Single leg leg press, take away the stability component so that I can actually direct that tension and stimulus towards the target tissue. So it's a bit of a long-winded answer there, but I don't think I, I could sort of attribute an exact percentage. Um, but for me, anecdotally, probably, yeah, 20 to 30% reduction in strength in some, some movements. Some movements retained really well. Others definitely took a, a big hit. How much percent body weight did you drop probably over the entirety of the prep? Was it probably like 20%? Um. I mean, I started my prep at around 96-ish kilos and I got down to a lowest low of 78.8. 78 I think my lowest was my stage weight was 80. So it's, you know, considerable amount, 16 or so kilos. I'd say I probably re reduced my weight by, I mean, close to 20%. I'd say maybe just a touch under. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to see some changes in strength with that. It's inevitable. About 18%. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so... But I also think you can't be too accepting of strength loss because you can also somewhat will yourself to not train with intent and the required intensity to retain that lean tissue. And I think it is important, just like you've highlighted there, DY, 
with the whole concept regarding like the difference between load and intensity because they are two different things, right? So load is simply the weight on the bar. Intensity is represented as a product of, let's say a one RM or like a hundred percent, right? So if you're applying the same sort of intensity to your exercise, you're working within a very close proximity to fatigue slash failure, irrespective of whether there is a reduction in load on the bar, you could be essentially creating the same stimulus, right? So I think that's important to highlight, but it's also not, it also doesn't create the acceptance that it's okay to reduce load all the time because you could very much rationalize reducing that load down to minimal amounts that it actually does impact your intensity in terms of training. So it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword when, when it comes to prep and managing that whole stimulus to fatigue ratio because you can lean one way a little bit too much, which could be detrimental to your progress. Mm, that's all fantastic. When Jordan came back, there was a lot of speculation. Some of the pundits, they said, he's a returning player. Does he come off the bench? And one commentator said, look, when your statue is outside of the stadium, you're not coming off the bench. And DC is not coming off the bench. He's back, baby. Let's go. Back, baby. I'm hype. Come on now. All right. Anyway. Um, oh, no, just to touch <laughs> on that to finish, I was just going to say that's all great information from the boys. And I think, you know, the logbook does keep you accountable to a certain extent. And I think you need to manage the expectations of, yes, I'm going to still try beat the logbook or at least try and match it because then it does mitigate somewhat like what you were talking about DC, like that just sort of, oh, you know what? My weight's dropping. I don't feel good. I'm just going to accept that I'm going to take some weight off the bar. But, you know, like Jack was saying as well, we don't want to just chase load progressions, you know, in order to to tick a box if it means we're not really using the target tissue and we're, we're not actually, you know, getting much out of that muscle. So I think that's where using other things like like pump, like disruption, like, you know, are you feeling anything in your chest if you're not feeling your chest after a, a set like that then you, maybe you do need to go okay you know what i'm pushing this a little bit too much with my shoulders i'm using a bit too much momentum or bounce off my chest or something like that so you know there's never a one size fits all of this is the metric you can look at and this is going to tell you whether or not you're doing the right thing you do need to get into some of these more subjective measures as well like pump like disruption like soreness to decide whether or not you're moving in the right direction Mm. I actually remember in the first prep I did, I was so married to the idea of like strength retention and retention of load on the bar that I remember with my bench press sets, like let's say I had, you know, three sets of eight, I started to perform them as like two sets of four or like I started to cluster them like that. And it started to get almost ridiculous where I would literally perform like two reps, re-rack the weight, sit back up for five seconds, get back down and I'm thinking, you know, by the end of it, I'm like, you know, I'm so married to this load on the bar that I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to really augment my program just, just to favor load. And does there become a point where that's actually just not beneficial anymore to my training? So, you know, I think people, like I said, people can swing both ways, right? They swing to that, that progression where it's, I've got to hold on to that strength no matter what. And my, my technique is going to absolutely fall to the waistline. Uh, or I'm just going to modulate my training so much to make it easier because I'm tired. So it's like, yeah, like we talked about, it's kind of like that Goldilocks principle, right? Where it's right down the middle is kind of where we probably want things. Yeah. And the next question is on actually quite a similar vein of would you increase volume to minimize tissue loss during prep? Would you, for example, increase from three sets to four? So Jack, I'll let you start with this one again. Yeah, that's certainly an interesting one. And I'd 
I don't think there's a direct right or wrong answer here. And uh, I've actually done both myself. In my first prep, we we increased volume towards the end. And I guess the main idea around that is that as strength is potentially coming down, you increase volume to to help offset that. So you're still accruing the same or more volume, even though your strength might be lower. And the other alternative is, of course, reducing sets because technically your recoverability is lower and the amount of efficient or effective volume that you can accrue in a session is potentially lower because you have less energy. So I think it really depends on the individual. If someone does struggle to train with adequate intensity towards the back end of prep, then I would probably be more inclined to increase volume. But if someone trains with good intensity and they're doing like a, as good a job as they can of retaining strength in a prep, then I would be more inclined to reduce volume or, or just keep it the same. Yeah, I think you are right. I do like when you line it up like that, there's arguments on both sides. I think it's interesting when you look at the literature around how little it takes to maintain muscle mass. But then again, you know, was that research most likely done in people who are well-fed and mm. is it eucaloric state? Did I sound smart? I so, yeah. yeah, cool. Awesome. Or also, uh, are they also training close to failure? Yeah. And, you know, are they advanced? Are they these beginner trainees? I'd need to look at that research a little bit closer. But yeah, I, I sort of see the argument both ways. I, I guess who I recently had on my own podcast was sort of more of the opinion of, you know, we sh probably should be bringing volume down a little bit during a prep. But you also then have to consider the psychology of the athlete. Like some people are just really not going to be able to accept the fact that they're going to be doing less work and somehow maintaining their muscle. And that in itself might drive them a bit crazy, especially as in prep, you're kind of fixated on everything. So I think that, you know, it's not just what's going on at a tissue level. There's other things that you need to consider as well. Mm. I also think like not all volume is created equal, right? So four sets performing on a hack squat is certainly different than four sets on a leg extension. So what, what I've looked at doing for a lot of my prep athletes is when I start to get that feedback from them, that they're no longer uh, continuing on with productive sets over the course of let's say three hack squat sets. If I start to get that feedback by set two, the intensity is massively dropping off or the load is hugely dropping off as a response to you know, a decrease in energy availability, I'm looking at it from the perspective that, okay, maybe maybe two sets is our sweet spot for hack squats where we can maintain load intensity and effort investment. But perhaps I need to offset that reduction in volume and allocate that to a movement that's not as fatiguing in terms of, you know, CNS fatigue and et cetera. So there has been times in prep where I've taken a set off, let's say on an RDL for someone, but I've allocated an increase in sets for something like a seated hamstring curl or a lying hamstring curl or a, a back off set or something like that for these particular exercises to somewhat kind of balance that reduction in volume. Um, and I think a lot of athletes have responded, you know, really well to that. It's sort of, and I, often it's, it's about creating a buy-in for, for your athlete too. You know, if I'm getting a check-in that says, Hey man, like I'm trying to push this third set on this RDL but it's absolutely cooking me. And the rest of the set, the rest of the exercise in this session, I feel like I really compromised because of this. They've kind of come to me with a solution already. Like, you know, um, I need to work with this, this athlete. I can't just, you know, always go with what the athlete says is best for them. But 
to me, that's, I, I need to, I need to work with this sort of comment. So that's when it would be like, okay, let's meet in the middle. Let's drop a set off, but let's allocate an extra back offset towards a leg extension or a hamstring curl or something like that. So that's the whole premise that, yeah, not, not all volume is created equal, right? Yeah. I was going to say the same thing as what DC said. Like once you get on that back end, like maybe those like hack squats or whatever they might be, maybe a barbell back squat or even like a deadlift might be extremely fatiguing. So like allocating some of that volume to somewhere else, if that means maybe putting in a glute thrust and a lying hamstring curl set, which might be able to hold a little bit more um, strength across is a great little idea. Another one that I've also done is a higher frequency training program. I know Eric Helms was quite big on that on like the back end of his last prep, I believe, where instead of doing like two um, pull sessions or whatever it might be, I've actually scattered the volume across three sessions, which means there's less sets to perform each workout. So there's less junk volume, especially when you get deep in the back end of prep, like, you know, maybe the 10th set in on a back workout isn't going to be that productive anymore. So if you're able to maybe split it across three workouts and maybe only do six sets, but maybe it might be the total same set volume for that muscle group, the set quality across the entirety of the week is a lot higher. So then therefore you're able to perform at a lot higher intensity. Yeah, I like that. And I think, you know, part of that could also be like a split that you choose. You know, I, for one, switched over to the upper lower rather than the push-pull legs for prep specifically because I just knew that, you know, those pull days where you've got a heavy hip hinge followed by probably some sort of vertical row and then you've got all that, you know, they just get very fatigued. Then you've got two full leg days as well. And I just found that splitting up the volume and if anything, it probably allows me to get a little bit more volume for, you know, arms and back and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think that's all all very good stuff. Moving on to the next question, which asks, would you rather have a 10 out of 10 mindset or 11 out of 10 genetics? I've been getting a few messages about the 11 out of 10 genetics. So I think I've dug myself into a bit of a hole there. Hmm. <laughs> Well, wouldn't the 11 out of 10 genetics, uh, I think in the end probably is probably going to be better nearly than the 10 out of 10 mindset in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, it's less work as well. So it's like a no brainer. If if I've got, let's say 11 out of 10 genetics, but I've got, you know, one out of 10 mindset, which makes me Mm. not capable of being able to push in the gym, endure the difficulties of a contest prep, Mm. um, be consistent and disciplined within the off season like stick to my goals, you know, all those sorts of things. I mean, I would probably go for the 10 out of 10 mindset and just outwork the person that has the superior genetics. But they didn't say one out of 10 mindset though. I'm, I'm, I'm treating it as like an average mindset, maybe five out of 10. Yeah. Let's say it's average for both sides. But the person who has 11 out of 10 genetics, what, what, like what's their mindset? Is it, let's say average five out of 10. So if you if you choose the ten out of ten genetics, oh no, eleven out of ten genetics, you get the five out of ten mindset, and vice versa. Ten out of ten mindset, five out of ten genetics. I feel like I'd probably want the better mindset, to be honest, because I feel like I feel like I can just outwork someone. Like, yes, genetics play like an you know an incredible role, but like if I'm a bitch, I'm not doing the work. And like there are, there are plenty of people out there that have incredible. So bodybuilding genetics but just don't train hard enough don't apply themselves hard enough and like even from like a pride standpoint like i'd be rather someone who has a 10 out of 10 mindset than than a bitch Mm. i know that jack and i are going to agree because we've had this discussion many times 
because sure. I think they're just I think if you had to compare which is more powerful, I don't know, I think it's not even close. Because like how many people can we think of that realistically don't apply themselves that much? Maybe aren't super meticulous in their prep, maybe are pretty relaxed in their off season, but they've got ridiculous genetics, so they can still achieve some pretty crazy stuff. Not that I, and I think, you know, the whole like, it's more of like that kind of moral argument about like what's better to have like a really strong mindset or be naturally gifted. Obviously, I'd rather, when you put it that way, it's better to have a, a really good mindset. But I think that if you consider which is more powerful for the end result, I just think, I mean, I think genetics is actually like overall in the bodybuilding world very understated. And I don't think it's given as much credence as it's actually worth. Hmm. I do agree with that. I definitely do agree with that. I mean, particularly, I mean, select a sport where the top end genetics doesn't play a role. Like it's, you wouldn't, you would never find that sport. Like it's, it does across every, every discipline and every sport at the end of the day. And obviously bodybuilding is no, no different to that, but um, it, it's quite a up in the air kind of question, right? Because like, I mean, the person that has 11 out of 10 genetics are we talking someone who doesn't apply themselves well in the off season? Are we still like someone we're we talking about someone who does apply themselves? Like I'm, I'm not entirely Or are sure. we talking about sticking to our current mindset and just having 11 out of 10 genetics? So I mean, but, that sounds great then everyone would choose that, wouldn't they? <laughs> but I think that's the point. I think the point is like for some people, like if your genetics are that good, you almost don't need to like, I can think of a few people off the top of my head. And it's like, I know what their off seasons look like. I know they aren't that, on the money during prep yet these people have still won pro cards they've still won overalls like some people are just that good it, it almost doesn't matter like they but i feel like they succeed that, despite of what they do that 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 gets them to a certain level and maybe that level maybe their genetics does push them to a place where they win a pro card but like there's something more than a pro card like there is you know like there is the pro league right and like the thing is that you get that person who applies themselves half-assed but has incredible genetics and you put them up against people who have matched genetics in a pro lineup and they're getting absolutely shat on so it's just like it's all relative you know what i mean yeah i just don't know about the five out of ten gen- I, I think in a like in some of the shows that i've been to recently i don't think five out of ten genetics is enough to get you a pro card nearly like i, I think five out of ten like i've seen some five people out of with- ten genetics do I? just out of interest oh first and last name yeah i'm not gonna say it but um i think some people that work extremely hard and i see them and they probably got like four out of five five out of five uh five out of ten genetics and i'm just like that like no matter how hard they try they're probably not gonna get there just because of the genetics alone where i've seen people with like 11 out of 10 genetics that just come in maybe like 10 week prep or something like that and absolutely smoke it and they fucking just and it's not even close and they score a pro card and even if they were to step on the pro stage it's something that the five out of ten genetics will never ever get to probably like mm-hmm. i can't say i've seen many five out of ten genetics with like some well there's, there's someone who did that this past season isn't there season a yeah but that being said they've also got like multiple multiple years of hard work behind yeah, them so sure. even yeah, though just... alongside that genetics and even then in that prep they like were a hundred percent the entire way through. I know mm. they're very dedicated athletes themselves. So it's not like they're just got like, you know, top of the range genetics and just shit the bed the entire off season. But I don't know. I just don't see five out of 10 genetics winning national shows at this current stage. I think that's in bodybuilding though. If you were to take the 10 out of 10 mindset and apply it to life as well, maybe, you know, business coaching and all that other stuff, then like, you know, in terms of 
just outside of bodybuilding, the 10 out of 10 mindset's probably going to get you way further. Yeah. Um, yeah, in general. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think the mindset, if it wasn't bodybuilding related, mm, for sure. Mm. Yeah. And I think the, probably the main spot that I come down on it is like, I'm not a huge fan of this. Like you can achieve whatever you want, as long as you work hard enough for it and long enough for it when it comes to like these physical things, because it's like, I could quit my job tomorrow and I could dedicate my entire life to playing basketball. I'm not going to be in the NBA. Like, it does not matter how much work I put in, I'm not going to play in the NBA. Like I'm not going to play for the Lakers. So I think that like we don't tend to apply that to physique sports because we always get told this message of, oh, you just need to do it long enough. And and look, maybe like, look, if you have like the worst genetics possible for bodybuilding, you're probably not going to get like a natural pro card, especially with the state of bodybuilding now. Maybe if it was like set a few decades ago and you had been training for like 25 years, maybe you can just stack on enough muscle, even if it doesn't look super pretty and get in ridiculous condition and get a pro card. But I think that with where the sport is selecting for better athletes now, because there's more exposure and more people competing in it, I think that it's unrealistic to say that regardless of who you are and regardless of your genetic makeup, that if you work hard enough, you will get to X because I just think for the vast majority of people, it's not going to happen. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And that kind of relates to what Tiara and I talked about on our recent episode, like winning a pro card is overrated because it's such a subjective sport and the options are fairly limited in the natural scene, at least for, for pros anyway. So I think, and and I agree that like someone with low tier genetics right now, they, they would, I, the only way they're probably getting that pro card is, is if they are doing it for 30 years and they've built up enough muscle in that time to to be worthy or but it depends depends which division as well like what about angels or or uh streetwear so. they, they didn't have pro cards for that but anyway i, I was gonna say the only division been I in, the, th- in the works uh DY. yeah not, not long enough the only division i could see someone with quite poor genetics winning a pro card is his bodybuilding and if they were to literally stack on so much muscle over 40 years that it would be absolutely a huge difference between the second place person but even then you know the second place come person comes in with a 26 inch waist and you're sitting there with a 34 comp shredded it's like you're fucking walking fridge i don't know what i can say you're pretty much you're done everyone's gonna be measuring their waist now seeing if they can w- listen to the podcast anymore because dy has just offended a, a whole host of listeners so what, what did you what did you say it was 30 34 inch <laughs> 34 inch waist uh waist but comp shredded like i think if you got 34 inch waist that like comp shredded like fuck i don't know some dude's <laughs> gonna be backstage with his like his inch ruler or whatever, you know <laughs> measuring he's oh shit I wonder well. what pig rammy's waist is on stage he's got to be close to 34 but he's just yeah, but like, he's aesthetic yeah <laughs> He's actually quite short too, I believe. So, what is he like? One hundred and thirty kilos on stage? Fuck, I don't know that. I think it'd be more than that. More, more, more than that. <laughs> one thirty, like it's what? That would that be three hundred pounds? I think he's three... slightly over three hundred at one of his Olympias. I don't know if he might mm. be. It was That's... around three hundred, yeah. So three hundred divided by two. He's yeah, dropping like one thirty-six. Dropping like five kilos of water overnight. Like genuinely. Mm. 36 inch waist on big Rammy, but I don't know if that's comp shredded or not. So like, and that's why he's not Mr. Olympia anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I think after this discussion, like, a lot of people are going to be thinking about, okay, what are my genetics? And maybe I don't want anyone to feel bad about them thinking they might have poor genetics. So I think... <laughs> but we've pretty much cleared it up here that like, you know, what the bare minimum is. On the topic of that, though, I think a lot of people have better genetics than they think. And maybe they just haven't been at it long enough or they they maybe have been at a slightly higher body fat for the majority of their life. Or never, they, maybe they've never been comp lean before. And being comp lean does make a huge difference to your inter- the interpretation of your physique. It reveals a lot. Yeah, I think we beat that one to death. That's good. But I guess, as like a, I agree with what you're saying, Jack. It's like, you don't want to discourage people. And I suppose it all is like, what do you expect of yourself? Because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, at risk of sounding too nihilistic, like it is just, bodybuilding like you know yeah. we all just do it because we enjoy it and because we love it and when it's all said and done you're probably not going to be like a you know sad old person shaking your fist against the clouds like you know completely distraught because you never got a pro card like at the end of the day we're just doing this to have fun and you know try better ourselves and challenge ourselves so i think that's where it's also like you know don't put all of your worth into getting you know a fairly arbitrary prize because it, it shouldn't define your whole you know why for competing anyway all right um what is the dumbest thing you have done due to prep brain dc yeah i'm glad you started with me because mine was probably the dumbest uh (laughs) i um i remember nicole and i were in the car and we were driving down to iga probably to pick up some zucchinis or something like that because you know prep (laughs) and we were driving back and as I'm driving back, I'm getting all these people driving past me, like honking the horn at me and just like pointing at my car and like just making a ruckus. And I'm looking to Nicole and I'm like, what is going on? Like, why are these people signaling me? Like, I don't understand. And um, this guy kind of pulled up to me, like pulled up next to me at the lights and was like, you know, ushering me to kind of wind down my window. And he's like, mate, your boot is open. And I'm like, are you serious? So I'd been driving for about 10 minutes with my boot open and all of my groceries just in the back of my boot. And I don't know how nothing fell out. Like, I don't know how I didn't like hear the wind of the, of the car. Like I was just bamboozled. And that's just a definite moment of prep brain. Like where I've just been zoned out driving, boot open, freaking groceries flailing in the wind and just no idea like that that was the case. And you just know you're going back to pick up each and every one of those zucchinis off the road. Yeah, well, I mean, luckily nothing nothing actually fell out. I was just absolutely amazed. And uh, I think one of the moments that uh, Nicole had was we were cooking and she's um, put the, the salt shaker like too close to the, the stovetop and it's just like completely melted it onto onto the side of, of the stovetop. And uh, we kept using it actually, the salt shaker after that so yeah just some really stupid moments do you have any dy i've I've tried picking my brain for a little bit and i honestly can't remember anything that was like super stupid apart from like oats spilling over or some crap that might be like that like i can't like nothing like what dc said so i'm a bit boring unfortunately dy is just in a constant state of prep brain yeah yeah (laughs) i haven't left (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know if i have anything that stands out massively because i'm from time to time even in the off season i'm a little bit forgetful like i'll do the odd silly thing like the other day this was in prep i don't wouldn't attribute the diet to it that's just me being an idiot so Gemma and i had been invited to like a friend's engagement party 
and I like looked at the address. I had a quick peek and I just read like Alexandra H and I was like, okay, sweet. Alexandra Hills. That's five minutes from where Gemma lives. Not far from where I live. Happy days. Bit closer to the day. I was like, oh, I just double check the address so I can know exactly how long it's going to take to get there. Check the address and it says Alexandra Headlands or Alexandra Heads, which is not five minutes from my house. It's two hours from my house. So yeah, I was uh, had four hours or three and a half hours in the car on one Saturday, which was a little bit frustrating. And Gemma had quite a bit on and that day and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's just going to be down the road. We'll be there for a couple of hours. We'll come home. All good. So I ended up having to do that journey by myself because Gemma wasn't able to come with due to the proximity of the uh, party to our house, which was a bit disappointing. But once again, I think that's just me being a bit of a, a bit of a silly goose rather than prep brain. Yeah, I can't think of too much either. I think maybe it, it was just mainly the how it changed my whole mindset and dilemma and some some good things like I was probably more productive and comp prep as I'm sure you guys maybe felt to an extent as well like with maybe non non physical related things like maybe with work and stuff you were more productive but uh, other things like do take a backseat um, especially towards the end of prep but I wouldn't really call that prep prep brain just kind of conserving energy when you can. Mm, what about like any like social angst or anything like that? Because I used to find in prep it would become harder for me to engage in conversation and i think it was just an energy depletion thing it's harder to maintain conversation uh i found it harder to speak like i would speak slower and i would actually like hear myself speaking and i'd be like speak quicker like what, what is wrong with you um definitely things like that for me as well i don't know if you guys if you boys experience yeah, it yeah there's actually um something that does come to mind is you know when when someone says something and it's not really a something you reply to, but you might nod or you might go mm, and agree with them. Like I noticed that when Tiara would say something, I would just not say anything because like, I couldn't even be bothered to acknowledge that. Cause like, even if she'd asked me something that doesn't require an answer, like she said, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the kitchen right now to make myself a sandwich. Like I would, usually you would say, Oh, okay. Or yes, cool. But I just wouldn't say anything maybe that's your age because my dad does that to me do you guys find that like when you were living with your parents where you'd be like all right dad i'm you know i'm doing this and just nothing just all <laughs> quiet on the western front i'm like did you did he hear me and then i'll, I'll repeat it and he goes yeah yeah like, and he heard me so it's like he fully knew what i said but he just chose not to respond maybe it's perhaps it's just you getting old jackie boy mm, that could be the case hmm I think one thing in prep that I did did do was it really uh, my OCD in prep, like nothing could be out. Like I always had like a set routine. At one time, my uh, food scales were out and I was just, there's something off here. This is way more than 80 grams that my eyes could see it. So I've grabbed out another food scale and I'm weighing the same meal twice. I realized it off, but now I don't know which scale is correct. So I actually went and bought a third pair of scales, a completely different brand. And for about the last eight weeks of my prep, I would weigh my meal three times every single time. So then I knew which scales were right. So yeah. obviously a very big OCD mode, but like that wouldn't happen in the off season. Like, oh, fuck it, it's 10 grams off, whatever. But like when I'm in prep, I'm like, now I don't know which scales are correct. So I'm sitting here weighing my meals on two different scales and then another one as a third one to make sure my meals were correct. So. Yeah. My current scale is like packing up shop because it was saying low battery the other day. So I was like, okay, whatever, I'll replace the battery. 
and now literally two days from replacing the battery it's saying low battery again so i think the whole thing's just cooked but it's like you're like rubbing it on your head trying to give it like a yeah, bit of static yeah. charge every time you want to use yeah. it so it's like do i risk getting a new pair, pair of scales because then at that point prep's over you yeah. know I'm, I'm straight into the reverse diet if i have to do that mm. pause the, pause the whole cereal box into the bowl it's like it's, it says only 80 grams that's weird <laughs> Yeah. It's like those videos where they weigh the chips. Yeah, one by one. <laughs> so good. Uh, so then I had to go to like Harvey Norman and buy like the most expensive pair of food scales. So I knew it wasn't going to be like probably like full drug dealer status. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Fully to the point zero zero one gram. Mate, you need to be weighing them on those IPF powerlifting scales just to ensure that it's one hundred percent on point. Yeah, exactly. Well, the next couple are a little bit lighthearted as well. So put together the ultimate bodybuilder. Should we go natural or enhanced? Hmm. Let's go natural, I think. Okay. I think it's a bit more relatable. All right. Let's start from the bottom up. Best feet in the natural bodybuilding game. <laughs> Best Jack, toes. This is your, toes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go toes. Jack, this is an area of interest for you. So <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd probably go your feet, Lawrence. I've yep, been looking totally. at them a lot lately. That's what I would have done as well. Yep. Like, what calves? I don't even know. Who's got good calves? I think that's yeah, pretty, like, you could pick does it. Does any natty have good calves? Is that possible? Mm. We'll just say, let's assume Barbacar's got good yeah. calves. Well, Barbacar's got probably everything apart from the calves, so we can't go with him. We're going to need to cherry pick someone else. What about Shane? Shane Little's got some big calves. Mm. We'll go yeah, with, yeah. We'll go with Shane. Mm-hmm. Hamstrings? Surely Meshack. It's going to be like yeah. two people. It's going to be yeah. just like Meshack and Babakar. Meshack's Shane... got some ridiculous hamstrings though. Yeah, he does. Especially from the side. What about quads though? I feel like Shane's got the quads too. Like yeah. Shane's quads were huge. They are huge, but is there are there prettier, like top to bottom, mm. prettier quads out there? To be fair, I reckon BK's quads are exceptional. Mm. Yeah, he's got like, some in absolutely terms of in, separation. insane wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of separation, because he's quite tall as well, so to actually have it like that filled out on the height as well. Mm. Yeah, I'm happy with BK. Mm. What, what okay. about glutes though? There's some guys over in the... uh, Ben Howard. Ben Howard. Got to be Ben Howard, yeah. Yeah, I was actually going to say Ben Ben Howard, even for that, just the the entire rear double bicep pose. It's insane. Yeah, from from the thoracolumbar fascia to the bottom of the glutes, you're taking Ben Howard. The best Christmas tree in the game as well. 100%, I agree. There was that one BK guy, Amory, wasn't his name? Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, remember he had had a wagon. (laughs) (laughs) An absolute dump truck. Yeah, yeah, my man had a week of laundry back there. It was a big old thing. Yeah. No, he's got ridiculous glutes. I still think in terms of overall yeah. aesthetics, yeah, Ben Howard's hard to beat. To, on that rear double bicep, though, once again, don't want to blow smoke, but BK, again, ridiculous rear double. Like one of the... Because I think that's a notoriously hard pose for naturals to look ridiculous on. Like you just don't have the same size like through the erectors and through the traps. But I think that like Ben Howard and and Brandon stand out as probably a couple of the better rear doubles in the game. Because mm, you just got to have that insane Christmas tree, right? Just like you said, thoracolumbar fascia just mm. needs to be super strong thickness through the, the lower lower back as well. Uh, very strong and obviously peeled, peeled glutes from from top to bottom. Mm. It's interesting how uh, with, with that uh, Christmas tree in particular, I find that 
some people will have a super prominent Christmas tree, even if they're not particularly strong at hinges. It just seems to be, again, a, a genetic predisposition. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. What about midsection? I was actually thinking... Um, or McNamara. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I was thinking Ben... I think I've seen Ben Lloyd. Yeah. Ben Lloyd? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember AJ had a guy couple seasons ago i want to say his name was josh maybe it was josh or oh no oh yes Don, yeah, did he call himself like dante or something on oh yeah i think i know instagram and yeah, he yeah. just had like the most ridiculous like symmetrical yeah. abdominals i think i think yeah does that really aid your physique though in natural bodybuilding i think to an extent it does but i'd rather have that than like garbage abs yeah, like if sure. we're building the ultimate natural bodybuilder but it's almost like kind of uh, Nick Walker abs from the front. Like Nick Walker has that really sort of blocky mm. six pack. Mm. But yeah. yeah, I personally, I mean, this is just my preference. I'd go with someone with like a smaller waist, even if it compromises the abdominals a little bit more. Mm. For, you know, I don't know how yeah. we skipped out on, on Doug Miller for his hammies. I mean, yeah, yeah I was going to save Goat Miller for the arms. For the arms, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Bicep, tricep, it don't matter. Just give it all. I think that's a pretty easy one. Definitely. What about okay, chest? We'll go chest and back. Chest. Who has a nice full chest? Who has those nice testicles? You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why aren't you laughing, Jack? I'm just concentrating. I'm trying to do some research. Sorry, guys. Jack's responding to clients. It doesn't take him <laughs> long. It's just yeah. a quick email. Yeah. Oh, chest. I mean, Babacar is up there. <laughs> <laughs> actually scratch the whole portrait just put him put him on it yeah yeah i don't know i can't think of like right now a chest that stands out massively i think mishak to be honest yeah, yeah mishak is up there what about like back maybe let's think more like a rear lat spread head to toe rear lat spread like... i love aj's rear lat spread i think he's real rear lat spread and his lats in general are pretty ridiculous Mm. who else definitely got to be someone there with a bit more thickness yeah I reckon someone oh, shots fired I reckon someone <laughs> you're making enemies you like we're gonna say that's the best back lat spread like he's got a good back lat spread but team MBM come after him getting DY's <laughs> DMs right now sure there's boys on his team oh I know who Kenyon Josh Kenyon yeah, he, he's he's another one that you could almost put him down for everything. To be fair, yeah, he, he's pretty ridiculous. His midsection actually is is yeah, like, like he's got a tiny waist and and very structured yeah. abs, mm, very symmetrical. Yeah, I reckon very good. Yeah, Kenyon for the back is is pretty hard. He's just so thick. Yeah, okay, and then head. Who's delts. the best looking? Oh yeah, delts, delts, delts and arms. Well, arms is already covered, Jackie boy, Goat Miller. That's easy. Right. Tom's got, got ridiculous arms as well. Tom's got some fucking good delts, though. When you see him at Powerhouse, mm. you actually, like, when you see that shit, you're like, fuck. Yeah. Tom would be up there for sure. Mm. Very complete, too, in terms of, like, the actual delts, like, very well rounded. Is there someone else with some cannonballs? Mm. I feel like, yeah, big delts isn't abnormal in a good natural bodybuilder. Mm. Find that. Quite achievable. Just a lot of lateral raises. Yeah. 
Oh, just that easy, boys. Yeah, it's that easy. <laughs> Plus 11 out of 10 genetics, yeah. Yeah, 11 out of 10 genetics and lateral yeah. raises. All right. Is that it? I think we've head to toe. That's pretty good. Neck? Yeah, <laughs> Jeff Nippard. That's easy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. Jeff actually has a very thick back. Like, when you see his back shots, like, they're thick. We haven't seen him here that lean though for a decade, so yeah, in a decade. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> damn! This man's, this man's hard it, to please. It, hey, this yeah. episode's gonna be like we call out AJ Morris and Jeff Nippard. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, neck Jeff Nippard, uh, and then we'll go. I reckon Tom's a pretty handsome guy. We could pencil him in for the head. Hmm. Yeah, and overall conditioning, maybe like Brian Whitaker. That's probably some of the nuttiest conditioning you'll ever see. Yeah, I think he was quite re- well rounded in terms of his. You know who we so. forgot as well as that uh, that guy from Germany, Daniel. Mm, oh, I saw yeah. a picture. He oh, he could be the chest. To be fair, uh huh. I reckon he. I reckon he's glutes and like back shot. <laughs> Jack's like, oh, he's garbage, bro. <laughs> he's got no chest. That means that more <laughs> more delts and arms from Daniel. Because yeah. I think I think Ramon's chest is bigger than Daniel's. Mm. Because they yeah. did that photo side by side. Ramon is a thick lad. Yeah. yeah. It's going to have all these athletes DMing BDU Instagram <laughs> like, hey, what's going on, man? You called me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, if that's someone fair. wanted to put aside an hour after this, they could they could construct it on Canva. Just get yeah. mm. If we forgot someone, they can just send us a message of what body part it was. And then if we need to restructure this genetic spe- specimen we made, well, so be it. Next body. Surely we could get some AI to do it, maybe. Yeah. That'd be pretty advanced stuff. And then I think, what is the, like the ideal height? What do you think is like the best height for a bodybuilder? I think 5'10". Five, 5'10", five, 5'9", five, 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 somewhere four. around there. I, I was going to say 5'9". 5'10", yeah, five, so that's kind of why I said that. No, I'm actually 5'11". <laughs> how tall How tall are the rest of the boys? I'm 5'11". I'm yeah, I'm 5'11", too. I'm five ten. <laughs> Real within an inch. <laughs> the pause just got me there. Just oh dear. That's hilarious. Yeah. And look, he's the most jacked, so it makes yeah, sense. That's, that's fair. Sense. We'll, we'll make it seem like that's the only reason why. It's not that his arm is just twice the size of the rest of us. <laughs> well, there you have it. The um the perfect bodybuilder. I think we can probably finish with one more, fellas. Do any of you want to judge bodybuilding shows in the future? I probably wouldn't. I feel like it's super, super complex, especially for like every single division. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think I could do it, but like, I don't think it's a job that I would like to do unless they're paying me shitloads of money. So like your current job? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think I'd be interested to be honest. Like I own, like I like watching bodybuilding shows and, I suppose I'm only... You like being a backseat judge in the crowd. Yeah, exactly. I like to just sort of say, oh, I would have beat him. I would have beat her and just sort of place myself in that lineup. I would have won every swimsuit category according to my my own perce- perception. So, you never want to no. sit next to Lawrence at a show. He's always calling out the judges' decisions. Yeah, wrong. Um, <laughs> just heckling him. But I just don't think... I don't One, I don't think my eye is good enough for especially the female divisions. And I just don't know if I'd be that interested in learning more about every division. Like, and I also just like show day as a, you know, 
bit of a backseat driver and just enjoy it and be able to chill with everybody. It's a lot of work as well. Like it's literally like mm. what, 10 to 12 hours oh, sitting there. Massive day. Judging every single div. Yeah. You do get free food though. Mm, yeah. Those sandwiches do look very, very nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, at this stage, I'm not overly pulled towards it. I'd rather, rather uh, attend a show and sit in the crowd and um, chat with people. And yeah, but maybe in the future for sure. Mm, I think I'm similar answer to, to you, to you, Jack. Something I would I would potentially look at down down the track, but I think being heavily invested as as um you know a coach at the moment, not something that's within my I guess my grasp or interest at this point in time, but very much could be something down the track if I gravitate that way. Mm. Yeah, I know Tierra's doing some she's uh potentially gonna be helping out with WMBF, which is interesting. She'll just have to sit out when I'm on stage and her clients are on stage. Mm. Yeah. Well, Nicole is actually quite similar. She's, she's doing um, WNBF judging for uh, both New Zealand as a guest judge and then um, also judging for the Brisbane show as well. So, mm. yeah, it's very exciting. Kind of the live vicariously through her. You want to get yourselves up on the podium. There you go. $100 each way. You know where to head. Yeah, exactly <laughs> I think Lisa, right. Lisa was doing some judging the other day for NBA, or maybe she was just sitting. And Joey yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. On the panel, yeah. For yeah. the NBA show, yeah. I think the, I think the coaches are a good, good spot to go to if you obviously you want to look for a judge on the panel, just because of the fact of if they're prepping and doing so many clients, they obviously know what they're looking for. They know what makes a good physique. So you know, go to someone that has the expertise. But that being said, obviously it's also hard because you don't want to judge your own clients. But if yeah. I did, that would be first anyway. So, Oh, yes. What? A, but imagine you got two in the lineup and you just, that's tough. Yeah, you have to look at who's paying the most coaching rate. Mm, and then, all who's right, on that premium? Yeah, who's on the premium service? Yeah, exactly. Well, fellas, it's been a wonderful podcast. Some great questions today. And just a reminder, everybody, if you do want to get the questions in, keep an eye out for the polls, put them in the DMs. If you want to hear yourself, send us a voice note. And as always, if you want to take the time to help the show out, you can leave a five-star review on either iTunes or Spotify. It helps us continue to climb up the charts. That's it for another week of Bodybuilding Down Under. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace.